0: Welcome to the Austin Art Talk Podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, and I'm a photographer, podcaster, and writer. And I love art and artists, and I love asking questions and having real conversations. I have a curious nature, and I'm really interested in people, who they are deep down and why they do what they do. What do they love and how did they get where they are and where are they headed? Austin is a great city and I'm grateful to be in the midst of so many talented and amazing artists and those that support them. If you don't want to miss an episode, be sure to subscribe where you listen and visit scottdavidgordon.com to learn more about me, other podcasts I produce, and to read my almost daily journal where I share my photography, thoughts and connections, and books that I'm listening to or reading. And reach out if you have an idea for your own podcast and don't really want to deal with the learning curve and all the equipment. Maybe I can help you make your dream come true. This episode is brought to you in part by Eastside Picture Framing, a conservation quality picture frame shop located within the Canopy Creative Complex in East Austin. Eastside Picture Framing offers you exceptional custom framing and provides insights and recommendations throughout the entirety of the design process. From archival mounting, acid-free mat and backing selections, and UV glazing options, all the way to their wide selection of real wood and metal moldings, they provide the same level of care for each project, regardless of the size or budget. Please schedule your free consultation today on their website, eastsidepictureframing.com, or visit their Instagram page to see examples of their work, at eastsidepictureframing. On to the episode. Raj Nakra is an Austin-based artist who creates colorful and mythic-looking artworks influenced by his extensive research of cultures, ancient art, and architecture from all over the world. All that he absorbs through books, travel, and online research gets melded and transformed into his own unique but somehow universal visual language. I'm impressed with Monic's boldness and commitment to his art practice, and willingness to spend years out of view to refine his subject matter, experiment, and learn and improve his creative techniques, taking the quality of what he is producing to the next level and then bringing it back into the world. Please enjoy this interesting and often humorous conversation with Monic. Okay, Monik, thanks for being on my podcast.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: You know, I'm here because, and you know, some people might catch this interview after the show is over, which is fine, but I still, I love your work and you have a show at Big Medium Gallery at Canopy right now called Wildlife. Mm-hmm. That's what inspired me to reach out to you because I had seen your work previously and I've, I love the colors. <laughs> I love the... Uh, your style. And I just thought I want to learn more about this guy, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like what makes you tick and what, why you, why you make the work you do. Um, I actually like, I really like something that you wrote on your website. I think it kind of, as it, as it's intended, summarizes, uh, your work pretty well. You have, uh, imagery consisting of teeming tropical jungles, exotic, Asiatic animals, mythical Kings and ancient architecture. Your work applies a contemporary lens onto post-colonial anachronisms, Indian iconography, artifacts from earlier early civilizations and religious myths and folklore in order to explore themes such as egoism, lust, and self-doubt. Wow, that's pretty interesting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> kind of nihilistic, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Is that... Yeah, this just makes me wonder, does that does your work and that kind of description fit into kind of like your is it almost like a sense of humor in a way that you're talking about? Like kind of like or maybe your outlook on the world?
1: Um yeah, it is. Uh I'm generally pretty easygoing and I like to have a lot of fun. Um and I do get in trouble. I used to, uh just for kind of being a little bit of a vandal oh, really? or a troublemaker. <laughs> Uh, especially when I was like in high school and stuff. I was a real like just jerk. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I guess that kind of plays into like the nihilistic streak that I used to have. I, 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 I sort of curb it now into just like humor and stuff. But I don't know. I think it's just like being a kid in the suburbs yeah. uh, or actually.
0: Here in um, the US.
1: Yeah. Or even like beyond that, just being a, like a token, I guess, kind mm. of. um Like, my whole life, (laughs) kind of, I've been a token. Even when I lived in India, I was a token. Because I I lived in Seattle, and, you know, I was, like, kind of, like, the only Indian kid there. Mm -hmm. Because it was, like, pre-tech boom, I guess. Um, And then we moved to India in second grade and i did my element, uh, elementary school there second third fourth fifth grade yeah but then when i was there i was like at school i was like the kid from america oh, so again okay. like i okay. wasn't like okay. treated like as a full indian like they loved that i had like american candy and <laughs> and vhs tapes of like the ninja turtles and stuff like that but i do have like vague memories of like my schoolmates telling me like i wasn't cool enough because I didn't know about certain Indian things, because yeah. I didn't grow up with it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wow. And then, and then from there, uh, back to Seattle, and then to Houston, and then in Houston, I we you know we moved into like white middle class suburbs. Yeah. And again, I felt like I was the token. I like it was that was in '96, and like I had never heard a country song before. Like, mm. I mean, I was in Seattle. Yeah. In the mid '90s.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, Cobain crunch. was yeah. king, you yeah. know,
1: and so I didn't know. I thought I was going to ride a horse to school. I like really just didn't know. Yeah, and sure. so you know, I kind of felt like a token then too. Yeah, then, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, you're kind of split between two worlds. You're going, you know, you spend some time in India, and then you're here. Yeah, I mean, it must have been very interesting trying to figure out how to evolve your own worldview or kind of personal culture or kind of style. I don't <clears> know. <throat> yeah, that's that's really interesting.
1: Um, Yeah, it's been difficult, but my story is just one of millions of kids who are first generation in America, you know? Yeah. One part proud, one part embarrassed, like, Hmm. you know, uh, because like my friends' parents like watched football and knew who the Beatles were. Right, right. My parents couldn't tell you the name of a single Beatle or the name of a Beatles song (laughs) or... Anything about American yeah. sports, you know?
0: Wow, it's like yeah, living in two different worlds. But
1: then again, my mom was the best cook in the world, and so, oh, yeah. uh, and so, you know, I that elicited a lot of jealousy, a lot of friends, oh, just, a yeah. lot of friends. I, I feel like I introduced a lot of kids in high school to Indian food because they would come over and have my mom's cooking. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I and but
1: Indian uh, restaurants weren't as common back then. as Oh they yeah, are now. Right.
0: Yeah, right, right. So do you feel like a lot of that angst that you had as a kid or this kind of like feeling like you're on the outside? Is that, do you funnel that? Is that purely funneled just into your, like you were saying, humor? Or do you funnel that into your work somehow now too?
1: Um, I don't find that my art is super, super personal. I don't paint from real life. I don't paint from real life. Yeah, Yeah. Um, I maybe paint like ideas that I have in my head and things like that, but you're not going to see, oh, I went to Istanbul and I met someone there and I'm going to paint a portrait of them.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Right. But no, but you don't see yourself in the paintings when you look at your work. You don't see kind of like your personality. You don't see kind of your thoughts, your beliefs, the things that you struggle with. I mean, you're talking about in this, in this kind of the statement, these themes of egoism, lust, and self-doubt. I mean, Mm -hmm. those are things I'm assuming that we, I guess we all struggle with, right?
1: Oh, definitely. I actually came up with that concept and idea when I was chatting with a friend of mine, uh, like years and years ago. And we were kind of just talking about people making the same mistakes twice. Yeah, And History repeating itself. Mm -hmm. And I thought we were were just kind of getting existential with it. And I remember making this comment that it's like we're cutting off our own heads. Mm. And maybe we are just doomed to self sabotage. Like maybe self sabotage is part of human nature. Yeah. Right. And that's why history repeats itself. Right. And when I made that comment about maybe we're cutting all cutting off our own heads, that like a light bulb clicked. Oh. And that's why I have like a lot of severed heads yeah. in my <laughs> I was art practice. Ask you about that. Uh I mean there's a ton in the big medium. I mean it's all severed heads in yeah. the big medium show. But right. I uh animal heads, but I also used to do like human heads and things like that. But that's where the idea of like the severed heads comes through is just kind of a reminder of self sabotage or maybe or actually maybe a reminder to not repeat maybe repeat the mistakes of the past.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and they're usually upside down. But they oftentimes have at least a few of the pieces in the wildlife show, they have something growing out of them. So is that like hope? Is that some yeah, kind of yeah, like it, it, it redemption? Actually,
1: yeah, it is. Uh, in the big medium show, I've got all the heads upside down and they're all kind of beat up a little. And that's reflective of like the mistakes of the past. But from them, new life grows and the life itself is covered in bindis, right? Yeah. The ceremonial dot, which functions as... I mean, it has a lot of purposes, but the main one is like a um, sort of a portal to infinity, a third eye, if you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people just wear them for like fashion purposes and things like that, or to feel feminine. But I was kind of focused on the third eye aspect of it. And so as this new life grows from these mistakes of the past, it's covered in third eyes, eyeballs, right? And so as you look at the artwork, the artwork looks back at you Mm. to maybe... Gives it an existential feel and kind of reminds you, like, to not maybe make the mistakes of the past.
0: So it is almost like, is it potentially feeling like a judgmental eye? Yeah, yeah, exactly. To maybe inspire you to question yourself more, or look more, be more aware of your own. Yeah, actions? be more aware.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and the show itself was actually inspired by all those stories of nature regrowing. I remember yeah. when the pandemic first or lockdown first started in March or April or whatever it was, yeah, you yeah. know, I- immediately these headlines started coming out that you could like see or the, uh, the Himalayan mountains for the first time from a certain vantage point that you couldn't see before because there was no air pollution. Yeah. And like these endangered turtles were now nesting on the beaches because there's no tourists in yeah. Thailand or whatever. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that really inspired mm. the show. And so when I read all those stories of like kind of nature regenerating and reclaiming space. That's where I got the concept of the show, to have this new life grow from uh, these severed animal heads.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It makes me wonder, I guess, as I often do, like kind of where this journey started for you in art, you know?
1: Well, I like to tell people that my first art show was in second grade. Oh, cool. I think it was second grade. It was elementary school, maybe first grade, actually. But for show and tell, we had to bring something in that started with the first letter of our name. Okay. So for Monic M., I brought Monsters. And the weeks leading up to my turn... I was drawing monsters on paper yeah, and it was just like notebook paper. Some monsters were like several sheets of paper taped together. Like they were huge, like, you know, like with the tentacles and all that kind of stuff, just doodling every day with my friend after school in our, in the living room. And then on the day of my turn, I brought a box in of all my drawings and I was showing them to the class. And then the teacher Hung them around the classroom, wow. and so okay. I think of that as my first art. I think of that as my first art show, and I remember though uh, a few days later when I came to school, my teacher handed me the drawings back, and she said that she had to take them down because they were scaring the students.
0: Oh, jeez!
1: And that's where I first, I guess, got a taste of the power of art. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of felt like a villain, like a super villain. And I was yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. know, like all the kids want to be. <laughs> Like all the kids want to be Superman. Right. But like, someone's got to be Lex Luthor. Yeah, but- <laughs> and I was like, maybe I can fill that role
0: <laughs> by creating monsters.
1: Yeah. And so, um, so that's kind of like, um, yeah. Where I first realized like how art can affect people. I think, mm. uh, maybe I didn't realize that's what was happening at the time. I just felt really cool that I yeah. like scared some kids, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: and you already liked drawing, though. That was, yeah, like, already a part yeah, of that's why, Yeah, that's why okay. I chose...
1: I could have brought in anything. I could have brought in my monster action figures, but yeah, instead yeah, I yeah. chose to draw some. And then, uh, you know, I always kind of just, like, uh, drew and painted or whatever my whole life, but mm-hmm. never took an art class. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, the only art class I've ever taken was 12th grade art. Yeah. And... I almost failed because I wouldn't do any of the assignments. I would just do what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I remember like, for example, we would have to draw like some still life, like real basic, you know, it's just high school art. So it's real basic stuff. And it was just like some still life, a bowl of fruit or something would be the assignment. We'd have to draw in class. And instead of turning in the still life, I turned in a comic book, (laughs) uh, and, well, if you, you have the right
0: teacher, they might really appreciate it. And that, then you know? towards
1: the end of the school year, my teacher was like, Mike, I'm going to have to fail you. You haven't done any of the assignments. And if I fail you, you're not going to have the credits to graduate. Oh, wow. And so I freaked out. And then she, I remember she gave me like six weeks to do the entire year's worth of assignments. Wow. And so I had to knock it out. And I I guess I got a C or something. I don't know. I passed. Yeah. And, but that's the only art class I've ever taken. <laughs> um. And then... When I was a senior, I guess uh, in college,
0: mm-hmm. in my
1: fourth year, I took an uh, what's it called Greek mythology class, mm. and for my class project, I actually painted a Greek myth on pottery. Oh, cool! And my professor asked to purchase the pottery. Wow! And I was like, Whoa, okay, so that's an A, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and. <laughs> And I was like, wait. And so, he bought the pottery off me. And then I was like, well, if you like these, I have like a bunch of paintings just like kind of stacked up in my uh, college apartment garage, uh, not garage, uh, kitchen. Yeah. (laughs) And you want to come take a look at those? And so, I showed him some of those and he bought like two canvases from me. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. And I, I sold them to him. I remember super cheap. They were like three foot. Like, by yeah. three foot, by three yeah. foot, like, kind of medium to large size canvases, and I was selling them for, like, 15 bucks. Like, yeah. they cost more to make, yeah, right? But, but, but I was like, whoa, 15 bucks, that is, like, five things from the Wendy's dollar menu yeah. and, like, two beers <laughs> at the bar,
0: nice you gotta I a have officially straight. made it <laughs> yeah you made it that's cool well I mean what so what and, and what, so
1: like yeah and so like uh and then he was the one who was like hey let me uh when he found out that I had never taken an art class before or anything he was like let me introduce you to this art person and so then that person came over and they bought a painting oh
0: nice
1: and then they started telling me about art galleries and I was like oh you you buy art at art galleries? Is that how it happens? Yeah. I thought you would just go to the museum. Like, I thought that was like an art store. Yeah, yeah. The museum. Yeah, yeah.
0: So you were just kind of on your own painting just because you wanted to. Totally ignorant
1: to to what the art world or what a career in art looks like or even how to buy art or anything. And you were
0: just painting. Why? Just because you wanted to. Just because what? Stoned.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And like just listening to music (laughs) and just hanging out really. Just killing time. And what did these paintings,
0: these college paintings look like?
1: Um, I mean, I was all over the place. So I was like making paintings of, I was really into the bad boys movies at the time. I was making paintings of Will Smith and Martin Lawrence, Yeah, uh, really silly stuff. Or like if I liked a sweater that someone was wearing, I would like just make a painting of that sweater. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of all over the place. You couldn't tell that the same artist made the work from one canvas to the next, you know? Or, and...
0: But you were kind of searching for I mean, maybe you didn't even realize you were searching for a style. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah,
1: yeah I yeah. I was really just kind of killing yeah. time and hoping to like impress some ladies, which yeah. didn't really work out. Yeah, but yeah. um
0: Hey you so, wanna come up and see my
1: paintings yeah, from Bad yeah, yeah, Boys? It's, <laughs> <laughs> you wanna check out this Will Smith painting? <laughs> and so um Yeah, and so that art professor, he's told me about two galleries, OK Mountain. This is 2004, late 2004. This
0: was here in Austin. Yeah. Okay,
1: cool. And he told me about two galleries, OK Mountain and Art Palace. And he's like, you should look them up and you should just start going or you should just go. And I think he mentioned one other gallery, too was there a gallery called like D Berman or something? mm -hmm. Okay. Maybe it was that one. It was like on Guadalupe street. It was on Lavaca
0: and 18th or 17th.
1: Okay. Well, anyways, I think it was that one. And so I started going to those art openings and just like not talking to anyone. Yeah. And I would just like look and then, um, I would touch the paintings when no one was looking. I Mm -hmm. still do that actually when no one's looking, uh, I I do it all the the time. I I do it all the time (laughs) because it really helps. I haven't taken an art class and like, I think I would be much more advanced in my technique if I had, because I would like get all the trial and error out of the way. And so I would just know how to use the material, but really touching a painting and stuff really helps me learn how it was made. And so like, I mean, even now I'll go to like the blend and I will just touch the art and then the security (laughs) guard will be like, Hey, like, you know, uh, 2 feet back or whatever it is and I'd be like sorry I didn't know it's my first time <laughs> And so I always pull that trick. Oh, it's my first time whenever someone gets mad at me yeah, for yeah, touching yeah, the yeah, art. Yeah. But I always touch it, and I don't care if people touch mine. But anyway, so I would go to these shows, and I would just look and kind of just see how the art was made. Mm-hmm. Like, my canvases were all warped and things like that. And then...
0: And just getting a feel for what is this art scene all about? Like, what is this gallery thing happening? Yeah, exactly.
1: Right? I'd be like, oh, okay. Oh, so you can just, like, the artist is here? You can just, like, go and talk to the guy who made or the girl or whoever made this work that's cool like i don't know if i'd ever met an artist before yeah you know Um, and you
0: didn't think of yourself as an artist yeah exactly
1: and i was kind of just also then uh, okay mountain being a diy space or artist run space i was also discovering diy culture at the same time and like once i discovered that i kind of never looked back i gave Mm. up uh, like like even just like with my musical tastes and movie taste just art tastes i i veered straight to like all the indie DIY stuff and kind of left all the mainstream or popular stuff behind. But, um, what did you go to college for? Uh, economics actually. Okay. Yeah. I thought I was just going to be working in a cubicle. Um, you know, watch basketball when I got home (laughs) and, um,
0: so you never went into economics. You just went into the art. mm -hmm. It sounds like, okay, cool.
1: Uh, I mean, I, I I had odd jobs all through my twenties while I was figuring my shit out as an artist. Uh, but i started going to those galleries and just looking and seeing who was shaking hands and you know and yeah. you know uh just looking at zines and things like that yeah. that were for sale and, and how, how to how to make your art look like the same person made it each piece you know <laughs> and, that's important right <laughs> and then uh i had Three art shows right off the bat. Mm. I was like, let me just show all this stuff that I have stacked up in my college apartment. Yeah. And so I remember my friend was having a party at his house, like a moving away party. So I said, uh, you know, it was just like a college kegger. And I was like, can I hang my art up in your oh, house yeah. right. um, for the party? And then I, so I started doing that. Any college parties that were happening, I would be like, Hey, can I hang my art up? I'll come in, I'll hang it. I don't care if anyone pukes on it. I don't know, whatever, how rowdy you want to get. And then I don't care. And yeah. then, um, after the party, I'll, I'll, I'll take it down. And everyone was down for like having like decoration yeah. basically yeah. for their party. And then, uh, so I started doing that and, and then I found out about the first Thursday festival or whatever that happens. I think they do it on South Congress, but yeah, There was one happening in San Antonio, right? and so I drove down there. I didn't buy a booth or anything. I just went down there with four canvases, four nails, and I (laughs) went to the hallway right by the bathroom, and I just nailed the four canvases up, taped my little captions underneath each one. Yeah, I mean, they were probably all hung crooked or something, and I just stood next to them for four hours or five hours or however long the first friday or first thursday yeah, 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 yeah. and not a single person stopped on the way to the bathroom okay i just stood there and i was like man how come no one's stopping and then another time uh i hung my art up at a theater it was called arts on real and mm-hmm. it was like a place that held plays and things like that and i was like can i hang my art up in the lobby my friend she was an actress so she connected me and um I didn't really like receive any feedback from that either and then I started wondering why am I why is like no one paying attention to my yeah. stuff I've got like all these eyeballs I mean I went to a first Thursday with like thousands of people showed up and not a single person stopped and yeah. and then also like just I'm not getting any feedback and I realized that my art looked like the art that I liked mm. and it didn't really look like anything but that I was wow. just kind of regurgitating my influences, right? Yeah, yeah. So then I mean, that's I,
0: a natural stage for mm-hmm. an artist to go yeah. through. Yeah, and
1: then I had a very, very what well, probably the, one of the most important conversations I've ever had in my life. Wow. Uh, with a friend who moved out to L. A. to become a stand-up. Yeah. And oh, that's hard. <laughs> yeah, very hard. And he told me that he regretted the way he went out there hmm. by not developing before he got out there. Yeah. He was he said he should have done open mic nights around town here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And figured out who he was as yeah. a comedian, figured out his voice, figured out his stage persona, then go to LA and hit the open mic nights there. Yeah. Uh because going out there unpolished like that the audi- the entertainment industry is in the audience looking for someone and if you bomb they're not going to look at you again yeah. even if you're now good five years later they're not going to come back they're going to be like oh he bombed five years ago they've already X'd you out wow. so I wanted to then I realized I need to make sure that uh, the next time I show my art I it has to not look like other people's art Yeah. and it has to be like good to go ready to go because first impressions are last impressions. Yeah. And so I retreated back into the studio and I didn't have, I didn't tell anyone I was making art. Oh. I uh, would just still go to art shows. I would never talk to anyone. I didn't have any friends who are artists.
0: But you had this, it sounds like, determination to be an artist, to be in the art world, to be a part of the art world. I mean, you're like taking these bold moves, you know, hanging up your work and <laughs> doing these things. It's really interesting. Like, you it seems like you were on a mission. Yeah, I was... You just decided, I'm going to be an artist.
1: Or well, it would right? just seem I mean, more fun than a cubicle job, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And so I was like, man, I like this... My my sister's a CPA, and I saw how soul-sucking yeah. that is and how she kind of got trapped in it now. I mean, I, I now she's in her... Late 40s, and she's pretty happy because she makes a shit ton of money. Yeah. <laughs> but I know that leading up to now, she was pretty miserable, but she, yeah. I guess she just stuck it out because she has an accounting degree, so she can only get an accounting job. Yeah. Um, so I retreated back into my studio and, uh, just made work mm. for eight years. Whoa. And did not tell anyone. Whoa. And I was kind of I got really obsessive. My friends didn't even know I made art. I turned my living room into my studio and my bedroom into the rest of the living space. Yeah. And so my living room and kitchen just were splattered in paint. Like, Mm -hmm. that safety deposit was gone. Yeah. First day, I knew (laughs) I wasn't getting that back. The first day, I decided to uh, switch my just living space <laughs> into a studio. I spilled a can of paint and I'm like done.
0: It's done. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh,
1: so I retreated back and I just would make work and not tell anyone paint over stuff all constantly um, until I felt comfortable that, m- you know, my art yeah. had a voice or a unique voice, at least unique to me. Um, Eight years. That's yeah. intense. That's yeah. A long and time. so that was like 22 to 30. Yeah. So anyway, so I was always kind of like pretty obsessed. I got pretty obsessive with like just, Making my art and, and how were you a lot of it was out shitty. what that
0: was? Yeah,
1: I kind of would just it was kind of just intuition like, I don't like this, but I like this one brush stroke out wow. of the million brush strokes on this painting. I like this brush stroke, so it was worth it. That's a starting the starting point. the like 20 hours that I spent on this painting to learn that to learn this one stroke and then i would take that brush stroke into the next piece
0: wow
1: and then that piece didn't feel right but there was a second brush stroke also that i liked right and then and so i would take that second one to the next one and then you know eventually i got to the point where i like all the brush strokes on the canvas (laughs) and and then then you like i'm ready and then that's and i'm like okay now i can start making art Whoa. You know? Wow. Because uh, I still had that mentality that, like, I got to come with my A plus game. Like, yeah, I, right. all 100% of the brush strokes have to be on point. I can't show where 99% of the yeah. brush strokes wow, are that good is a and high 1%. Standard. And so then um, from there, uh, yeah, I would just make the work. And once I finally felt comfortable, I approached uh, Cheer Up Charlie's. Okay. Because I knew that a lot of artists were hanging out there. This is back when they were on East 6th, yeah, when they had sure. just like a little shoebox of a space. Yeah. I asked the owner, Maggie, I was like, can I hang... Again, I pulled my hang my art by the bathroom trick, yeah, right? Yeah, right? And I asked Maggie, I was like, can I hang a piece of art by the bathroom? And uh, she's like, sure, yeah. You know, I showed her some of my painting and she's like, yeah, cool, let's do it. So, I measured the wall and I made a painting the exact size of the wall. Wow. So, it was like eight and a half feet by whatever the dimensions were, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, some film producers came in and asked who made the art. Yeah. And then they reached out to me and they bought it. Wow! Yeah, and I like couldn't believe it. I didn't even know. I think I charged them a thousand dollars, and that was the first piece of art I ever sold. Was I guess like yeah, not the counting $15. The, the fifteen dollars <laughs> ones, uh, was a $1, thousand dollar painting. I mean, that's really cheap for an eight foot painting. Yeah. But, um, you know, felt like a millionaire. Some
0: validation. Yeah,
1: right? and then the film producers were like, "Hey, uh, you know, let's can we come by your studio?" Which was just a bedroom in the house. Yeah, and so. I said, sure. And they came by with this guy named Terrence, whatever, right? Yeah. And they looked around, and they ended up buying another canvas from me. And this Terrence person was just, like, kind of, like, just, like, looking around. I guess he was just a friend of theirs. And maybe, like two months later, I see a picture of Terrence Malik and I'm like, Oh shit. That was the fucking guy who was in my apart- in my house. Wow. Uh, and then these film producers, they, uh, they they now live in Marfa. Um, and they've been pretty great. Rusty Martin is yeah. the guy's name, but they like produce like Angelina Jolie movies and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, like, yeah. They're big time. But they're fans but, of
0: yours, collectors of yours.
1: Uh, but, um, I just thought, that was so cool. And that kind of got the ball rolling for me and really got me super confident to where I started then. Like, okay, uh, I need to, like, figure out how to get more people to see my work now. Um, And so I started just, like, trying to sneak a painting in here or there. Um, I was... Uh, trying to get into the monster show at Domi, which was like a bookstore yeah. in the mid 2000s in Austin. And they would have this show on Halloween every year called the monster show. And anyone could submit to it again, coming back to monsters.
0: yeah. And right. so
1: I started submitting once a year. So I would show art only once a year and it would be the Domi show because anyone could show there. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. uh, from there, my first uh, official like real gallery show was in Houston at this place called Red Bud Gallery, and G Gallery. I I had my first two shows, I should say, on the same night. Oh, wow. I went down to Houston to help uh, some friends of mine with their art opening Mm -hmm. at a space called G Gallery, which is now called G Spot in Houston. Yeah. And while I was down there, I was hanging out at the gallery next door called Red Bud, and I was showing a friend of mine drawings of mine that were in my backpack, and... My and the gallerist like walked by and he's like, Oh, what are these drawings? And I told him that I had this series of draw, uh, tiger attack drawings. That yeah, I was no, I saw on. those
0: on your website, those are so cool.
1: And uh, it was about the Champawat tigress that I read who killed 436 villagers in Nepal and India in the early 1900s. Yeah. Killed two hundred villagers in Nepal in the late eighteen hundreds. The Nepalese army was sent into the jungle to hunt down this tiger. They were unable to kill it, but they drove it into India. They were like, "Your problem now, right?" Yeah. And and in India, over the course of a dozen years, it killed an additional two hundred and thirty six villagers. Wow. And in like nineteen oh four, this guy Jim Corbett comes in, this British guy, and he's like, "I can kill this tiger," and he spends. The next three years hunting this tiger Whoa. and he sets four traps over the course of the three years. And on the fourth trap, he finally was able to shoot and kill the tiger. And now, uh, when, uh, there is a monument at. The tiger's death site. Yeah. Uh, Jim Corbett himself has been elevated to the level of like a saint or sadhu is actually what it's called, but it's like a saint in the region. And when India broke free of British rule, they opened their first national park in like 1948 or something. Yeah. uh, Called the Jim Corbett National Park. They named it after him. So he's like a legend there for killing this tiger. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask you about the tigers in your work. It's a very prominent thing. And
1: this tiger. or Jim Corbett, I should say, he kept a journal. Oh, of his uh, three-year hunt. Really, and it's called The Man Eater of Kumaon. Is it was published into a book in the forties. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Man Eater of Kumaon. Kumaon is the the region yeah. where the uh, tiger hunted. And I was like, man, I got to get a copy of this book. So you know, it's easily you can find it on Amazon. Um, and so I bought the book and I read it, and it inspired me to make one tiger attack drawing. Oh. And my friends liked it. And then I made another one. My friend liked it. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to make all 436 tiger wow. attacks. <laughs> and I expected it to be some lifelong project. And then when I'm like 100 years old, I'm going to show off all, yeah. like this lifelong project of documenting all the tiger attacks. Yeah, yeah. And it was when I was in Houston. I was showing my friend. Like, I was like seven drawings in. And I was showing my – and that's the show that that gallerist yeah. gave me. right. And he's like, Let's do the show in fourteen months. And I was like, shit, now I have to go through with this project wow. and I have a deadline. And but that's cool. That's what you need, yeah, right? Yeah. To move so, forward. But but I'm seven in. Yeah. Four hundred and twenty nine to go <laughs> in fourteen months. Twelve by sixteen watercolor drawings. Yeah, yeah. And and so I started hustling on that and the gallery next door where my friend was actually having a show. G Gallery. Yeah. They saw the art and they were like, "Hey, do you want to have a show?" Wow. And I was like, "Okay, but the gallery next door also already offered me a show." And they're like, "Yeah, but that's okay. Like, we'll just we'll figure it out." And I was like, "Okay." And yeah. so I decided I would do my my tiger attack watercolors in one gallery and then my canvases in the other gallery, oh, nice. right? But then I had the bright idea what if I had them on the same night because yeah. they're right next door to yeah. one another. They yeah. share a wall. Oh wow. Like it's the same building complex, <laughs> yeah. like literally right next door to each other. Nice. And I pitched this idea to both of them and they that is went cool. for it. That is and really I was cool. like, Oh wow. Like my first ever shows in a gallery and I'm having two at once.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so if I'm going to bomb, I'm going to bomb hard. Yeah, But luckily they were pretty well received and like, um, and you got the work done. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, that's, and then from there I was, i kind of was, was feeling like a big shot, um, <laughs> because I had like sold a bunch of work. Uh, like, I think we sold like 150 of those drawings wow. on opening night. Like yeah. it was insane. Wow. I mean, they were a hundred bucks a pop, but still yeah, yeah. just 150 of those fucking drawings. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I had some success success on the canvas side as well. And I was like, man, I'm like the king of Houston. (laughs) 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 Move over, DJ Screw. And the phone just never rang.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: Wow. The shows ended and I didn't hear anything from anyone. I was like, what happened? I was like, just like. You're killing it right now, yeah. right? And and then you know I retreated back into the studio and just continued to work. But that really gave me the like confidence. It was like those art shows, and then that you know I got the ball rolling. And
0: what did those canvases look like in that show? At um, that
1: time? What year was this? Uh, this was twenty thirteen. Okay. And oh, so I was thirty, thirty or thirty one, yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um. The canvases at the time, I was using a lot of uh, metal leaf, gold leaf, mm. silver leaf, aluminum leaf, bronze yeah. leaf, copper leaf, and I was kind of riffing on how all the deities in India are dripping in gold, Meanwhile, like in the Western world, Jesus is just wearing some like Birkenstocks, right? right. Um, And on the flip side, we've got all these deities that are wearing like gold crowns and jewels and things like that. And so I was kind of riffing and like um, just the temples and things there are also adorned with all these golden statues and things like that. And so I was kind of riffing on that. And I also thought that shiny art would attract more yeah, people also right. and make it look more expensive. Cause I was using the cheapest materials possible. Cause I was broke. Yeah. But I was like, man, if I can incorporate something shiny, it'll like just make the paint look more expensive no, it and does. not that yeah. like, I it, and, and it, it won't, it'll look less like the freaking $2 tubes that I'm yeah, buying yeah. from <laughs> a craft store, not even a, like a serious art supply store. Right. So I was making a lot of work that was inspired by like deities of, mm-hmm. uh, um and like a lot of monkeys actually cuz of hanuman which is like the monkey god and he's got this monkey army mm. um but yeah it was it was it was it was that um and i had incorporated like i had started to incorporate animals a little bit like the jungle cats but not really mm-hmm. it was kind of just more focused on people um yeah. and uh and like the deities and there was like a, there was a bit more abstraction as well
0: but kind of like similar to your style now the kind of like very Kind of graphic, two dimensional style. Mm-hmm. Kind of referring yeah. Referring to it was
1: it was a lot more flat back then. Okay, okay. way more flat. I, I like I was basically I was using oil paint, but I was using it as acrylic paint. Yeah, I should yeah. have just been using acrylic paint. Uh, but again, I didn't know. Right, never took an art class. Right, right, right. Like it was years of me oil painting before I had even heard the phrase "fat over lean." Oh wow, which is you know to like yeah. mix in more oil on the. Uh, top layers. Yeah, I had no idea, and I was yeah. like always wondering. I was like, "Why is this paint cracking?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. like, I guess I'm just using cheap paint, yeah. but really, it was because I wasn't thinning down the top layers enough. Ah. But yeah, so I like didn't know any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So it sounds like, I mean, was it just the time when you lived in India that left a big impression on you? I mean, you've been, have you been back since then? I mean, how are you drawing? all this kind of uh, inspiration and all these ideas from, uh, you know, India and that part of the world. Well, yeah, it's just,
1: you know, having one foot in in that culture. Yeah. And maybe... Maybe I was like predisposed to just really like color a lot, right? Mm. You mentioned that you like all yeah. the color in my paintings and like India is like the most colorful country on the planet. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's literally a holiday that just celebrates color. Holy. It actually was like last weekend yeah. where people throw the colored powder and yeah. stuff. And it's literally just like a celebration of color and wow. like worship of color. Yeah. Um, I think the original story is this deity, uh, stepped through a fire. And when it stepped through the fire, the flame made all these colors. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was attracted to the color. So, so I started using those kind of colors and I was then from there looking at the colors in my mom's saris and things like yeah. that. And like, that's just kind of the stuff I gravitated towards. And, and then, you know, I read that book about those tiger attacks yeah. and like I already had a, I guess, Propensity, is that a right word? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um for kind of like this gruesome violent stuff. Um <laughs> which also is because my parents never regulated anything when uh, I was growing up, what I was watching or listening oh, wow. to. Because okay. they were just like they didn't, they didn't pay know. any attention to American culture. Yeah. And so, you know, I was I haven't seen a lot of kids' movies. Uh, like growing up, like the stuff you would see in the 80s and yeah. early 90s when I was a kid, I haven't seen. You were watching all the of adult it. stuff? <laughs> I was watching like Deliverance and like, uh, <laughs> and like, Freddy Krueger movies. And so yeah. I remember like my friends would come over to my house to spend the night. Cause my dad would take us to block because they knew we could watch rated R movies. So my dad would, <laughs> my dad would take us to blockbuster and then we would just rent all the movies that had like boobs or blood on the cover. Yeah, and yeah That's yeah. it, you know?
0: And he wouldn't know the difference. He did not care. Then, yeah. Okay. And,
1: you know? Oh. Um, and so, you know, I kind of just, and then in India they have, Dozens and dozens of tiger attacks and just jungle cats attacking humans every year. It's Wow. Okay. Um still to this day. Uh, yeah. you know, like probably I don't know, hundred to a few hundred people die in animal attacks every year. Yeah. And it's kind of just become a part of life there. Um it's actually lessened. Oh yeah. Because of all the poaching and stuff like that. Ah. But I think uh when the Champawat Tigress was around, there was a hundred thousand wild tigers in India. Whoa. A hundred wild tigers, a hundred thousand of yeah. them. Now there's only three thousand. Um, but you know, as India grows and now middle class is developing due to all like the tech companies and stuff yeah, that are yeah. moving out there. The cities are growing and they're growing into the natural habitats right. of these jungle cats and so yeah there's still a lot of like leopard attacks happening in cities and things like that just because leopards don't have anywhere else to go sure uh but anyways all that stuff was super interesting yeah and um there's just like a you know a lot of a lot of gore there and i guess that's just what i like and so
0: so how did your work progress after that so then
1: from there i leaned heavily into jungle cat attacks yeah and I started reaching all these uh, researching all these other famous jungle cats and maulings that have happened throughout history, and uh, just kind of riffing on those, but coming up with, like, and just, you know, it helped me come up with my own visual vocabulary a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, but I kind of, I leaned into those and just started making, like, a lot more just jungle-oriented stuff, and I ended up having a couple more shows uh, in San Antonio. Oh, nice. Um not At, by the bathroom. <laughs> no, not this time. At a gallery called Hello Studio, which yeah. is run by Amada Claire Miller. She's actually a pretty amazing artist. Yeah. Um, her space, Hello Studio, no longer exists, but she showed me three times in one year. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Nice. You know, that was really great. And I, I learned from, I made a lot of mistakes during those shows, but, you know, it's an artist run space. So that's where you make those mistakes. What, and, are, what
0: are some of the mistakes and lessons that you learned, if you don't mind sharing it, one or two?
1: It um, might
0: help someone else. I don't know.
1: Securing artworks to the wall properly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I've talked to some artists and none, none of them have ever gotten a phone call from their gallery saying, uh, your art just fell off the wall. Oh, wow. <laughs> you okay. know, just like kind of technical things like that, but also just making sure that like it wasn't just some like just shit on the walls. Yeah. And I wanted to make it feel like an experience and so i started like like i stapled gun uh brush to the walls and things like that to kind of i'm i I know this one show i wanted people to unearth my art because i was so into ancient art you know and like uh all those ancient ruins are you know covered in brush and all this stuff, you know, when the explorers are out, or yeah. like just are out there like hacking away stuff with a machete trying to find a temple or something yeah, like
0: yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: So I was like, I'm gonna cover all my paintings with brush. Yeah. And uh people are gonna have to push the brush to the side mm-hmm. to see the work. Yeah. No one did that. They thought the brush was part of the art, yeah. which it kind of was, but you, it was interactive, but they just, they don't want to touch the art. Yeah, <laughs> no, so no, as yeah. like, they've been told. So no one actually saw the work. Oh, it was wow. all, it. <laughs> you <laughs> know, just insane. mistakes like that. And I was like, okay, I need to stop. Uh, playing with people so much and like maybe either have some instructions for them or like write a better press release to where they know that they can like push the brush aside or whatever. But
0: that's a cool idea though. I mean, I like the experimentation you're talking about, kind of pushing the boundaries, you know, Mm -hmm. that's really cool. When was that?
1: Uh, 2014, I guess. Okay. So about 2014 through 2014 to 2015 was when I had those three shows at hello studio.
0: Yeah. 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 And what about in between then and now? Like, how how do we get to where we are today with your big medium show? Was that a lot of studio time,
1: or did you have other shows? Or, Well, when I had my first two Houston solos in 2013, from then to 2016... I think I had five solos. Yeah, and I was kind of got back into the habit of just regurgitating shit. Okay, and then that's when I took a pause. Oh, interesting. I "I need to like, I have a job that can pay my bills, so barely, but it's paying (laughs) my bills. Yeah, and it's allowing me to buy my art supplies. So I just retreated back into the studio and kind of just like had to level up a bit. Really? Wow. Um, Because I was kind of getting into cruise control mode a little bit. What did that look like? Even though, even though those shows that I had, the majority of those uh, solo shows, uh, I wasn't really selling. Other than those two Houston ones, I really didn't sell that well or anything, you know. Or or get and got zero press, and so that must have been uh, discouraging. Yeah. So that and that's yeah, it, it was, but I was having fun. Okay. So I kind of didn't really care, okay, but it is something that I didn't notice um and yeah, I didn't care that much because, uh, you know I was just I was having fun You were gonna make i, I, I was anyway. i was i love seeing the gallerist mortified when I'm like hauling in brush yeah. into his yeah. gallery yeah. With, and I didn't warn him beforehand, yeah. and I'm just like covering <laughs> the art with it and and Uh, I'm not. I said him. Her uh, Amada. She was like, "What the hell are you doing? Like, no one's gonna. You can't see the art. They're not gonna know that this is. There's even art in here." Yeah. Um. (laughs) But I kind of uh, yeah, just got a little too comfortable. Yeah. What does Um, that
0: mean? You got comfortable. You you feel like you had to then take a pause and level up. Like, what was wrong with the work at
1: that time? And what did you change? I was just making this, like, making the same. Painting over and over. Okay. I felt like. Okay. Okay, so in this painting I have a tiger attacking a farmer. Yeah. In my next painting I have a leopard attacking a farmer. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right, <laughs> you know? right, right. Uh and I could come up with a million different scenarios of yeah. you know, and I, I I was just never running out of scenarios of people getting attacked by animals.
0: Well you did the four hundred and twenty nine or yeah, whatever, right? Yeah. I mean, that started it.
1: Um and even with that series, I've, all those tiger attacks are documented yeah. by the Jim Corbett Foundation, which right. is now based in um, Africa, I think. Uh, and so I my original plan was to actually document the actual scenes. Yeah, right. But once I got like a few dozen in, I was like, you know what? This series isn't even actually about documenting these attacks. I realized the tiger was attacking uh, attacking a way of life that is disappearing from mm. India. And... In, The tiger actually became a metaphor for like modernization almost, you know? Oh wow. Yeah. And so when I came upon that realization, then it's like, Oh, like this is kind of just like an allegory to how like messy the, uh, the road is to like progress. Yeah. You know? And so from there, I just said, I'm just going to make up my own scenarios. And I just, I could have kept going. I could have gone past 436. I could have, I was just still riffing. I was like, okay, what if someone is fishing and then a tiger attack comes? Or what if someone is actually ironing clothes for a British officer and they get attacked. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like all these, I just never ran out of scenarios.
0: Yeah, I would encourage people to check out your website. You can see a bunch of these on there.
1: Yeah, I have like almost all of them up there. Oh, cool. On the website. You so this pause through.
0: and then leveling up, like what did what kind of soul searching did that take? Like what One, was
1: that? learning material. Okay. I realized... I actually, although I made all these watercolor drawings of Tiger Attacks, I didn't actually know how to watercolor. I was like, because I couldn't emulate some effects that I was seeing from watercolors that I like. So I started making like five watercolors a day. Wow. Because uh, it dries so quick. Yeah. And I kind of was just doing that in the t- while I was waiting for the oil paint to dry. Yeah. Right? So, I yeah. was like, I'm just waiting. I got to wait a day for this thing to dry. So, I'll just work on some. And I, so, I started just making abstract watercolors, actually. Mm. Just playing with the paint, seeing how it interacts with one another. What if I mix gouache and watercolor together? What if I mix in uh, Perrier uh, oh, yeah. in, into the watercolor yeah. instead of uh, flat water, yeah, and you know, just trying all this stuff. And you know, I wasn't trying to create anything; I was just trying to. I didn't have anything You're just in mind. Yeah, I was and just trying messing. to learn. Right? Yeah, I was yeah. just okay. Like, what does this brush do? Like, what kind yeah. of brush strokes does this make? And um, and then I, and I was doing the same with uh, oil paint. You know, mm-hmm. I started buying better quality paint. Yeah, and better quality materials. And I started exploring larger scale uh, yeah. paintings and things like that. Um,
0: Did your research change at all? Because I know we haven't talked about that really, but I know you do a lot of research to kind of like source a lot of these kind of ideas and imageries and mythology and architecture. Oh yeah, uh, yeah.
1: I, I, I look at all of that stuff constantly. And I look at so much of it that oftentimes I forget names. There's mm-hmm. just so many names. Like yeah. even if you were to like just look up ancient rome and they're all their gods there's like hundreds really yeah and they all are shapeshifters and yeah. they, you know and same with hinduism and all these other cultures so i mean i read all that stuff and i just kind of mesh it all together yeah and so a lot of times i'll like make a piece that references a certain aspect of mayan culture but in my head i'm thinking i'm referencing egyptian culture cuz it all just meshes oh, together yeah, you know yeah, yeah. so i kind of don't remember but in that way it helped me come up, come up with my own visual vocabulary by yeah. meshing it all there's one thing that all these uh ancient civilizations have in common really and that's a sun god mm. you know mm-hmm. so they're all kind of linked together and uh another thing that links them all is that they all make artwork made of or not artwork but uh architecture, the ruins are all made of stone blocks. Yeah. That's like one thing they all have in common. And that's why kind of when I started experimenting with bringing the architecture that I'm looking at into the pieces. And that's why I make like the multi-panel works. The multi-panel works kind of function as like the stone blocks. And yeah. That's why sometimes some of the panels are at different depths, because over time, oh, yeah. these stone blocks have shifted and cracked and moved, yeah. and so I wanted my pieces to also reflect that. So that's why, you know, I'll have a multi-panel piece, and all the panels are at, like, one inch depth, but then there's one piece that's at, like, yeah. four inches depth.
0: And like with the wildlife show, you have actual frames that reference architecture that you built yeah. around the paintings. Mm-hmm
1: the palace windows
0: yeah palace windows yeah Mm -hmm. yeah did you want to say anything about being in the crit group or the line residency or anything like that do you have any thoughts about those
1: oh yeah i actually i i loved loved crit group if you are in austin you need to apply to crit group it is like going up against like a firing squad oh Um, nice yeah
0: yeah, how did that change your work? How did that help your work doing that process?
1: Well, it began. The, I actually was not familiar with Crit Group. And one day I got an email from Andrea Millard, who I adore now. She is so smart and she works at the Contemporary. Mm-hmm. And she reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, I've seen your work and I think you should apply to this Crit Group program because it feels a little raw and, you know, we could. We could tighten it up a little. Yeah. And I think you might really benefit. And so I was like, okay, I'll apply. I didn't apply. And then the day after the deadline passed, Andrea Millard said, hey, where was your application? Oh, wow. And then I was like, oh, let me go fill it out. <laughs> and I remember, like, I uh, I think the application, you have to just, it's a really easy application. I think you just submit, like, five photos, and then you have to write, like, a paragraph oh, of why okay. you want to be in it. And I remember, instead of a po- the paragraph, I wrote a poem or something. Yeah. Like, it didn't even make any sense. <laughs> I submitted. But... Uh, it I got like in. She wanted you in there. Anyway. I got in <laughs> yeah. and it was totally transformative. Uh, you've got your artwork being looked at by museum people, uh, museum professionals, gallerists, school professors, art professors, as well as like your colleagues around town. Yeah. And everyone, the artists that get accepted, they all have different motives and different career paths. So not everyone is like trying to go from MFA, to group shows, to solo shows, to museum shows, to a monograph, to retiring, or yeah. whatever it is, right? Yeah. Uh, some of them uh, just will join Crit Group because they're actually an art teacher, and they want to learn how to teach people uh, art. Or one of them, you know, someone might just be like a Sunday painter, and they just want to get better at the craft, and, yeah. not worry, and some people want to learn how to talk about their art better. And, you know, so there, everyone's got their own motives, but... And motivations behind... Uh, and So, that's something also that I really like, is that not everyone is on the same wavelength in Crit Group. Yeah. Your fellow peers have different goals. Yeah. And once a month, you show up, you put your artwork on display, and for four hours, they rip you apart. Oh, wow. And you don't talk.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. And then
1: at the end <laughs> you get 15 minutes to rebuttal. Oh, okay. After being, man,
0: that sounds intense.
1: Yeah, it is intense. Um, it's like, yeah, it is going up against the firing squad basically, uh, back against the wall, but it was there that, uh, they really called me out hmm. on me being repetitive with my artwork.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, um, and then that's, where I decided, I still don't know how to paint in Crit Group. I feel like I just now learned how to paint after Crit Group because I started incorporating like just new styles and just lo- approaching oil painting in a completely different manner. Mm. Uh, I'm mostly an oil painter, and there's like so much you can do for- with it. And that's why people use oil paint. And I was still kind of stuck with using oil paint as if it was acrylic paint with like really flat colors, not much blending, things like that. And it was like, it was crit group that basically broke me down and told me you need to start using oil paint as like, you need to start using or taking advantage of all the different qualities of oil paint or
0: just use acrylic. Yeah.
1: Or just save yourself some cash and use acrylic. Yeah. Um, and so that was like a real transform. And that's actually also where I started to experiment more with just my work itself and started to explore like abstract concepts, mm. different ways to uh, install the art. It's where I d- discovered the idea of making these frames that I have up in my yeah. big medium yeah. show. And it was just really great actually also to watch other people get critiqued and stuff. Yeah. You know, and I was just absorbing everything everyone said in my head. I was like, okay, 50% of what everyone's saying is bullshit, but the other 50% hmm, pretty smart, you know, yeah. and I'll, I'll take, I'll take that back into my
0: story. Or even learning how to criticize art or look at art. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mean- yeah.
1: Looking at art. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, can you imagine talking about one piece of artwork for, an hour and a half like you know and that's what happens in crit group you know so uh you really you really really get into the nit and gritty of like oh you hung this artwork up 50 inches from the ground that's bullshit it should have been 52 inches from the ground (laughs) then it would have been amazing now it's garbage (laughs) like that's how nitty and gritty they get you know uh so anyways so that was a real transformative i kind of view crit group as my art school
0: yeah yeah um
1: and again, because I've you know I've never, I think everyone else in my crit group class had gone to art school, so they were used to these critiques. Yeah, I was not. Um,
0: and did you find it enlivening, or were you you discouraged, or you just inspired? No, or? it was
1: it was enlivening. Yeah, enlivening. Um, I I remember even then I again got into like my rebellious ways a little bit. Uh, One of my crits, uh, I brought in a painting that was eight feet by nine feet. Wow. And then (laughs) I put a tarp over it. Yeah. And then when it was time for my turn to get critiqued, I didn't remove the tarp. And they just basically had to critique the tarp. Oh, wow. And then I was like, you guys give me 15 minutes. I'm going to give you 15 minutes to critique the work. So then when there was 15 minutes left in my crit, I had this sound effect play of an atom bomb exploding. And I played that sound and then I ripped the tarp off and I was like, okay, he got 15 minutes to critique it. Wow. <laughs> it's just so stupid. <laughs> that is so creative. Um, so yeah, that was a really great experience. And um, I'm like probably a million times better of an artist because mm. When I paint now, I think about the things that Andrew Millard uh, or Annette Carlazi said, yeah. uh, or Sterling Allen. He was also one of the leaders of the Crit Group. He's a professor now at Texas State, and yeah. I, he was also one of the founders at OK Mountain. So it was almost like coming full oh, circle. Wow. Yeah, with I had never even talked to. I had been going to his gallery, OK Mountain, for years and never even spoke to him. Yeah, and then finally, you know, a decade later, um, he's critiquing my work and stuff. But um, so, that was a really transformative experience. Um, and then the, the, the line residency came about simply because the big medium show was canceled. Oh, okay. Or not canceled, but I should say postponed. It yeah, was supposed yeah. to happen in July of last year. Right. And they w- they waited to the last possible minute to cancel. So, I had to keep working on the show as if it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then, by the time I had like 90% of the show done, they're like, okay, this COVID thing is not going away. Yeah, We're going to have to postpone it. And I guess they felt bad that they had to postpone my show, but they postponed everyone's show. So I'm not really sure what happened with big medium, but then I got a email from them saying, Hey, uh, people have dropped out of the line residency.
0: Oh, wow. And since your
1: show has been postponed, you want to just do the line residency, just in the interim, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So you yeah. have something to do. I don't. I don't. I don't know why they just offered yeah. it to me, but they did. Uh, I mean, I know that like people had dropped out. Yeah, I think right. people were just afraid of uh, COVID and trying to be sure. cautious, yeah, and just didn't want to be living in a hotel. Uh, but I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, and that one, it was my first ever residency. Mm-hmm. I've never once ever got into anything I've applied for. Hmm. I, you know, all those open calls and stuff like that. Yeah. I've never received a grant. I've been rejected by everything. So if anyone out there is like (laughs) down in the dumps about getting rejected, I, I have never received an acceptance letter in my life. Yeah. Uh, wow. And so, and now I don't, I, now if you have a submission fee, I don't, I don't pay to play. Yeah. It's bullshit. Yeah. Um, and so, anyways, uh, I was offered that line residency, and to be honest with you, I kind of hated everything I made there. Oh, interesting. Uh, I just couldn't get... Com- it was my first residency, and I just couldn't get comfortable in the space. Mm. I'm very, very grateful, because I think I was at a point... Um, so, that was kind of offered to me in September of last year, mm-hmm. and the big medium show was offered to me in March of 2020, right when the pandemic was starting, yeah. and they're like... Do you want to show? Uh, and we'll have the show at the end of July. And I was like, "Yes, of course." Big Medium's amazing, and um, I'm a huge fan of a lot of the artworks yeah. and exhibitions that yeah. they have art were artists and exhibitions that they've held. So, and I honestly never thought they would ever have me. I never once approached them or anything, just simply because I they have a they lean more towards I think like conceptual art, and I haven't seen a lot of the. Artists they show that mostly do 2D works, you know. Yeah. But anyways, they offered me the show, and that was great because lockdown was just starting, and I had something to do during lockdown. Yeah. I have a show. I have a goal in my. I have like a deadline and a goal and an end date, so I've got stuff to do. So that really kept me inspired Mm -hmm. for the first six months.
0: That's important. Yeah.
1: For the first six months of the lockdown and I was loving every painting I made or every artwork I made. I was like, this is, these aren't even studies. These are finished works. Like this is, amazing. I'm on fire. Right. Uh, like stuff that I would start out as like a practice piece. Yeah. Uh, the practice piece became the piece because it was already like yeah. a fully formed idea. I nice. was like, Oh wow. This is like, I'm just like capturing lightning in a bottle here. And then when the show was postponed, um, I didn't know what to do. Oh. And I hit a wall, creative wall. Yeah. And then I was offered that residency. And so I went into the residency in the middle of like a creative block. Yeah. And and then it being my first residency, also, I, I was in the space. and I just didn't even know how to use the space. And then there were no windows in the space. And I'm an oil painter.
0: Oh, yeah. A little stuffy.
1: Way stuffy. And then I also got in there and I started messing around with some paint and stuff and I just didn't like anything I was doing and so then I was like maybe I need to incorporate a new material to freshen things up so I brought in spray paint Hmm. into a windowless room Yeah, and I started spray painting Nice. and uh, And
0: 95 mask anyone yeah exactly
1: (laughs) and I, I cracked that I started using spray paint and I cracked that door open to the studio and I remember walking down the hallway like 20 rooms down and I could still smell the spray paint. And yeah, I was like, "Oh shit!" Uh, sure they're not—they're not, not going to be happy right? about that. But yeah. yeah, but not very many people were staying there, so I guess it was okay, and no one really said anything. But bad studio to start using spray paint. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, another learning curve I had to get over was use spray paint outside. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but actually, going back to what I said before about learning from your shitty work. Yeah. And, taking the good parts forward. Yeah. Uh, the big medium show is the first time I've incorporated spray paint into oh, my artwork. Really? And actually of the five, so there's like 40 something drawings and, and five canvases. And I think four out of the five canvases all have spray paint on them. Yeah. So, so, so
0: something good came out of that mm-hmm. painful period of just doing what mm-hmm. you say. And then now I work. use
1: uh, spray paint quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Nice. At least a little bit in in a lot of the artworks I've made since then.
0: Yeah, I think you were saying about how, how artists have to go through that period of pain, right? Mm-hmm. Every once in a while to make good work.
1: Yeah, I, I, there's this amazing quote by Ira Glass, whom oh. I adore. And he says, uh, he talks, I mean, it's a, it's a long quote, so I'll paraphrase. But basically, he says that you need to put yourself on a deadline. And just push out the bad work Yeah, like he's like he was talking in terms of writing short stories or just writing in general and he's like you need to put yourself on a deadline I will complete one story a week whether it's good or bad because your taste which is what got you in the game in the first place the art game yeah in the first place is still killer don't ever don't ever doubt your taste Ah. and it's only by going through a volume of work Will your work reach your taste? Yeah. And so, push through, and eventually, your work will be as good as your taste in art.
0: Yeah, I think aren't we all like? I mean, I guess I'll just speak for myself. Just always fighting with the perfectionism and the fears and everything, and it's like keeps you from making a bunch of bad work because you just—it's almost hard to let yourself do that, right? I don't know. Yeah, huh. it's uh, it's really annoying. Um, so where? Where do things stand now kind of with uh the work that you're making how you how do you feel about the work you're making now like what is it what does it feel like what are the new things you're exploring what what does it kind of look like going forward
1: um currently I've been experimenting with these with this idea I'm calling them ceremony paintings mm-hmm. where I'm exploring uh how violence plays in with Ritual and ceremony and influence and the relationships between devotees and deities. Yeah. Um, and so, those are the pieces that I've been working on now. I've, I have brought in a new material for this series, which is stucco. Oh, interesting. To add some dimension to the black backgrounds. Yeah. I uh, am making these candle paintings and these candles are lit at night and the night sky was feeling a little too flat just black yeah so i brought in stucco and i started mixing the stucco with the oil paint and now the light reflects off the stucco in a way to where it just adds a lot more depth and yeah. dimension despite it being just so flat Interesting. i guess it just uh the light plays off this just the bits of ceramic that are mixed in yeah. to make the stucco material
0: what interests you about this ceremonial aspect of uh Things. I mean, is it just kind of like a different direction in your research or things that you've seen that have inspired you?
1: Yeah, I actually uh, went down to Tulum in 2019 for the first time. And from there, I went to Cabo, which is an ancient Mayan city in the Yucatan Peninsula, yeah. right? We took a bus there. And uh, I stayed there. And in Cabo, there are just a lot of buildings devoted to human sacrifice. It really? was like a lot of artifacts devoted. Wow. Uh, I, guess, I guess that city, a lot of that was taking place um, or was like a hub for yeah. that. Um, and I was really inspired by, or just uh, kind of just seeing similarities in the way that people gather around for ceremonies and the way animals gather around for a hunt in the, like, african serengeti yeah or, the, or an asiatic jungle or something and how it isn't too much different
0: mm. and how
1: v- violence is a big part of ceremony and religion and not just in the eastern world i mean i think i think i don't want to offend anyone but i think catholics are obsessed with gore yeah uh they love it yeah um they they're literally go to church every sunday to drink blood you know yeah and so i was just kind of noticing those similarities amongst within like also the animal world and i'm working on combining the two or finding the parallels and sort of exploring how we are our relationships to ceremony and violence yeah and ritual and how that all meshes together but to be honest with you i'm very early on in the series it's yeah. usually like after I've been working on it for a few months that I even developed the vocabulary to talk about Mm, it. Sometimes I will start on a path and I won't even know why I'm making it until I'm done. And then I look back at it all. I'm like, oh, this is why I made it.
0: That's really cool. Yeah, I mean, that's just like what you were saying earlier. It's like you're filling... All this stuff into your brain, all this research, and you don't even maybe know where it came from, but it just kind of comes out Mm -hmm. in these different ways. Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: Yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, if I was an artist, I would have been an archaeologist. It's it's kind of the same thing. Uh, Save movement um if i was an archaeologist i'd be still be sitting there with a paint tiny little paintbrush, and just like brushing away the dust (laughs) around um i don't know some pottery or like a dinosaur bone or something for hours on end and now i'm with that tiny toothbrush and i'm just like brushing paint around yeah for hours on end (laughs) yeah
0: that's a cool way to look at it wow so i'm wondering maybe the maybe my last question i don't know um What do you love most about being an artist? Are you glad that you were devoted
1: to this path? I uh, don't have to wake up early in the morning. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's a big one. (laughs) I hate the mornings. I mean, I probably wake up around 9 a.m. these days, or, well, just that's my internal clock, but uh, because I don't set an alarm ever. That's probably a huge motivating factor. With why I want to be an artist is so I don't have to wake up in the mornings and yeah uh, because when I wasn't a full time artist I was the mornings were hell I would wake up five minutes before I had to be out the door yeah I would keep my toothbrush at work yeah because and then I would brush my teeth at work because that's an extra two minutes of sleep right I could get at home rather get (laughs) you know and stuff like that so. um, But outside of that, I love uh, being able to, like, just travel and just have the freedom to read.
0: Yeah. So, for you, it's more about a a life of more freedom and kind of possibility instead of kind of a restrictive Mm -hmm. time. Mm
1: -hmm. But I'm also... uh, It's almost like I keep a keep my laptop bag by the door. Cause I know this could end at any minute yeah. and I'm going to have to just bust out the laptop and start working on my resume again. I'm not taking any of it for ah. granted. So people uh are buying the work now, yeah. but tomorrow who knows just like that Houston show where yeah. I fucking killed it. And then I didn't get another show in Houston until 2019, six years later it was yeah. the first time someone from Houston contacted me again. Yeah. So, uh, I'm kind of reminded of this thing Chris Rock said, okay. where he's got he's got a mansion that he lives in, right? But he says he uh, he every day he wakes up thinking today's the day that the white people that really own this house are gonna come in and be like, <laughs> "You gotta get the fuck out." <laughs> so he also is like, it could end any minute, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you've got this show at Big Medium, mm-hmm. Wildlife. It's going to be up until May 1st, mm-hmm. 2021.
1: Yeah. And then I'm hyped uh, to be showing at the Contemporary. That'll be oh. the, that'll be the next show that I really? lined up. And that's in September. I have uh, no idea what I'm going to put in the show. Wow. Uh, I th- that's a big deal, right? Yeah. Does that feel like a big deal? A really huge deal. Yeah. I've never shown in a like museum before. Um, you or anything close to a museum, really. <laughs> Deborah
0: Roberts listened to her episode. I mean, that's where she is right now.
1: Yeah, uh, I've uh, yet to see that show. I want to really bad, but the appointments are all booked. Yeah, she's a hot ticket. It's a good one. Um,
0: well, congratulations! Wow, that's and, and you're yeah. working on the on the pieces for that now, or? How
1: uh, that well, work? I'm working. I'm just working. Yeah. Okay. And then the curators will select what yeah, they want right, to put in the show. Right, it's a, it's right. actually a group show. Not even entirely certain who all is in it. Yeah. But I think the curators right now are just I've had one studio visit with them and they're gonna be doing other studio visits and then I think they're gonna to try to find a common thread and a theme. Yeah. Uh based on what everyone is making. Oh, that's interesting. And then yeah. um and then they'll select the work. I do know that it's not gonna be a greatest hit show. They wanna see they wanna see what you're what I'm making right now oh when i had my visit they're like we don't even care what you're making for big media we want to see the work that they are going to show will be the work that i made between big medium and september yeah right they want right. to see the absolute newest stuff
0: well cool well congratulations on all this success does it feel like success to you
1: um or do
0: you think about it that way?
1: Uh, no, I don't know if I really think about it that way. I do feel really successful because uh, I got married. Oh, congratulations. Uh, and for that. Recently, and... And you don't have to get up early. And I have, uh, yeah, I don't have to get up early, but uh, I mean, it's funny. I I tell my wife, I was like, every decision I've made since puberty uh, has been to get a hot wife. Yeah. And now I have a hot wife. Nice. I'm done.
0: And you're an artist. <laughs> I'm awesome. done. You made it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> if you, I and i I I know that like a lot of guys won't admit this, but. If you're a straight dude, everything you've ever done in your life has had one end goal in mind, that is to get a hot partner.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right, 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 right. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. Is there anything else that – did we miss anything? Is there anything else you want to share? No, I just
1: want to thank you for having me on here and coming by my studio. Um, This is my first podcast, so I think it was probably pretty meandering. No, I don't don't think so at all. um, I think people enjoy it. You know. Maybe I drank too much coffee this morning. I feel a little scatterbrained. Oh, no. Um, it d- you
0: don't sound that way But, all.
1: yeah, thank you. I hope I didn't come off as... all right. I guess I hope I didn't let my nerves show. No. Public speaking is one of my biggest fears. Oh. And this definitely felt like public
0: speaking. Oh, okay. Even though it's just me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of people will hear it, but uh, you won't have to watch them listen to it. <laughs> so, cool. Well, thank you so much thank for you. your time.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Hey, it's Scott. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so appreciative of your time, investment in listening to these conversations that I have with these amazing people. I'm very grateful for you. And if you want to learn more about me and the podcast, just check out scottdavidgordon.com. Take care. Thanks.